0: Chapter forty two of David Copperfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ty Hines. David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty two. Mischief i feel as if it were not for me to record even though this manuscript is intended for no eyes but mine how hard i worked at that tremendous shorthand and all improvement appertaining to it in my sense of responsibility to dora and her aunts i will only add to what i have already written of my perseverance at this time of my life and of a patient and continuous energy which then began to be matured within me and which i know to be the strong part of my character if it have any strength at all that there on looking back i find the source of my success i have been very fortunate in worldly matters many men have worked much harder and not succeeded half so well but i never could have done what i have done without the habits of punctuality order and diligence without the determination to concentrate on one object at a time no matter how quickly its successor should come upon its heels which i then formed heaven knows i write this in no spirit of self-laudation the man who reviews his own life as i do mine in going on here from page to page had need to have been a good man indeed, if he would be spared the sharp consciousness of many talents neglected, many opportunities wasted, many erratic and perverted feelings constantly at war within his breast and defeating him. I do not hold one natural gift, I dare say, that I have not abused. My meaning simply is, that whatever I have tried to do in life, I have tried with all my heart to do well, that whatever I have devoted myself to, I have devoted myself to completely that in great aims and in small i have always been thoroughly in earnest i have never believed it possible that any natural or improved ability can claim immunity from the companionship of the steady plain hard-working qualities and hope to gain its end there is no such thing as such fulfilment on this earth Some happy talent and some fortunate opportunity may form the two sides of the ladder on which some men mount, but the rounds of that ladder must be made of stuff to stand wear and tear. There is no substitute for thoroughgoing, ardent, and sincere earnestness. Never to put one hand to anything, on which I could throw my whole self, and never to affect deprecation of my work, whatever it was, I find now to have been my golden rules.' how much of this practice i have just reduced to precept i owe to agnes i will not repeat here my narrative proceeds to agnes with a thankful love she came on a visit of a fortnight to the doctors mr wickfield was the doctor's old friend and the doctor wished to talk with him and do him good it had been a matter of conversation with agnes when she was last in town and this visit was the result she and her father came together i was not much surprised to hear from her that she had engaged to find a lodging in the neighbourhood for mrs heep whose rheumatic complaints required change of air and who would be charmed to have it in such company neither was i surprised when on the very next day uriah like a dutiful son brought his worthy mother to take possession you see master copperfield he said as he forced himself upon my company for a turn in the doctor's garden where a person loves a person is a little jealous at least is anxious to keep an eye on the beloved one of whom are you jealous now said i thanks to you master copperfield he returned of no one in particular just at present no male person at least do you mean to say you are jealous of a female person he gave me a sidelong glance out of his sinister red eyes and laughed really master copperfield he said i should say mister but i know you'll excuse the abbot i've got into you are so insinuating that you draw me like a corkscrew well i don't mind telling you putting his fish-like hand on mine i'm not a ladies man in general sir and i never was with mrs strong his eyes looked green now as they watched mine with a rascally cunning what do you mean said i why though i'm a lawyer master copperfield he replied with a dry grin i mean just at present what i say and what do you mean by your luck i retorted quietly by my luck dear me copperfield that's sharp practice what do i mean by my luck yes said i by your luck he seemed very much amused and laughed as heartily as it was in his nature to laugh after some scraping of his chin with his hand he went on to say with his eyes cast downward still scraping very slowly when i was but an humble clerk she always looked down upon me she was for ever having my agnes backwards and forwards to her house and she was for ever being a friend to you master copperfield but i was too far beneath her myself to be noticed well said i suppose you were and beneath him too pursued uriah very distinctly and in a meditative tone of voice as he continued to scrape his chin don't you know the doctor better said i than to suppose him conscious of your existence when you were not before him he directed his eyes at me in that sidelong glance again and made his face very lantern-jawed for the greater convenience of scraping as he answered oh dear i am not referring to the doctor oh now poor man i mean mr maldon my heart quite died within me all my old doubts and apprehensions on that subject all the doctor's happiness and peace all the mingled possibilities of innocence and compromise that i could not unravel i saw in a moment at the mercy of this fellow's twisting he never could come into the office without ordering and shoving me about said uriah one of your fine gentlemen he was i was very meek and humble and i am but i didn't like that sort of thing and i don't he left off scraping his chin and sucked in his cheeks until they seemed to meet inside keeping his sidelong glance upon me all the while she's one of your lovely women she is he pursued when he had slowly restored his face to its natural form and ready to be no friend to such as me i know she's just the person as will put my agnes up to a higher sort of game now i ain't one of your ladies men master copperfield but i've had eyes in my head a pretty long time back we humble ones have got eyes mostly speaking and we look out of them i endeavoured to appear unconscious and not disquieted but i saw in his face with poor success now i'm not a-going to let myself be run down copperfield he continued raising that part of his countenance where his red eyebrows would have been if he had had any with malignant triumph "'and I shall do what I can to put a stop to this friendship. "'I don't approve of it. "'I don't mind acknowledging to you that I've got rather a grudging disposition "'and want to keep off all intruders. "'I ain't a-going, if I know it, to run the risk of being plotted against.' "'You are always plotting, and delude yourself into the belief "'that everybody else is doing the like, I think,' said I perhaps so, Master Copperfield, he replied, but I've got a motive, as my fellow-partner used to say, and I go at it tooth and nail. I mustn't be put upon as a number person too much. I can't allow people in my way. Really, they must come out of the cart, Master Copperfield. I don't understand you, said I. Don't you, though, he returned with one of his jerks. I'm astonished at that, Master Copperfield, you being usually so quick. I'll try to be plainer another time is that mr maldon and horseback ringing at the gate sir it looks like him i replied as carelessly as i could uriah stopped short put his hands between his great knobs of knees and doubled himself up with laughter with perfectly silent laughter not a sound escaped from him i was so repelled by his odious behaviour particularly by this concluding instance that i turned away without any ceremony and left him doubled up in the middle of the garden like a scarecrow in want of support it was not on that evening but as well as i remember on the next evening but one which was a sunday that i took agnes to see dora i had arranged a visit beforehand with miss lavinia and agnes was expected to tea I was in a flutter of pride and anxiety, pride of my dear little betrothed, and anxiety that Agnes should like her. All the way to Putney, Agnes being inside the stage-coach, and I outside, I pictured Dora to myself in every one of the pretty looks I knew so well, now making up my mind that I should like her to look exactly as she looked at such a time, and then doubting whether I should not prefer her looking as she looked at such another time, and almost worrying myself into a fever about it i was troubled by no doubt about her being very pretty in any case but it fell out that i had never seen her look so well she was not in the drawing-room when i presented agnes to her little lance but was shyly keeping out of the way i knew where to look for her now and sure enough i found her stopping her ears again behind the same dull old door at first she wouldn't come at all and then she pleaded for five minutes by my watch at length she put her arm through mine to be taken to the drawing-room her charming little face was flushed and had never been so pretty but when we went into the room and had turned pale she was ten thousand times prettier yet dora was afraid of agnes she had told me that she knew agnes was too clever but when she saw her looking at once so cheerful and so earnest and so thoughtful and so good she gave a faint little cry of pleased surprise and just put her affectionate arms round agnes's neck and laid her innocent cheek against her face i never was so happy i never was so pleased that when i saw those two sit down together side by side as when i saw my little darling looking up so naturally to those cordial eyes as when i saw the tender beautiful regard which agnes cast upon her miss lavinia and miss clarissa partook in their way of my joy it was the pleasantest tea-table in the world miss clarissa presided i cut and handed the sweet-seed cake the little sisters had a bird-like fondness for picking up seeds and pecking at sugar miss lavinia looked on with benignant patronage as if our happy love were all her work and we were perfectly contented with ourselves and one another the gentle cheerfulness of agnes went to all their hearts her quiet interest in everything that interested dora her manner of making acquaintance with chip who responded instantly her pleasant way when dora was ashamed to come over to her usual seat by me her modest grace and ease eliciting a crowd of blushing little marks of confidence from dora seemed to make our circle quite complete i am so glad said dora after tea that you like me i didn't think you would and i want more than ever to be liked now julia mills is gone i have omitted to mention it by the by miss mills had sailed and dora and i had gone aboard a great east india man at gravesend to see her and we had had preserved ginger and guava and other delicacies of that sort for lunch and we had left miss mills weeping on a camp-stool on the quarter-deck with a large new diary under her arm on which the original reflections awakened by the contemplation of ocean were to be recorded under lock and key Agnes said she was afraid I must have given her an unpromising character, but Dora corrected that directly. "'Oh, no,' she replied, shaking her curls at me. "'It was all praise. He thinks so much of your opinion, that I was quite afraid of it.' "'My good opinion cannot strengthen his attachment to some people whom he knows,' said Agnes, with a smile. "'It is not worth their having.' "'But please let me have it,' said Dora, in her coaxing way, "'if you can.' we made merry about dora's wanting to be liked and dora said i was a goose and she didn't like me at any rate and the short evening flew away on gossamer wings the time was at hand when the coach was to call for us i was standing alone before the fire when dora came stealing in softly to give me that usual precious little kiss before i went don't you think if i had had her for a friend a long time ago Dodie? said dora her bright eyes shining very brightly and her little right hand idly busying itself with one of the buttons of my coat i might have been more clever perhaps my love said i what nonsense do you think it is nonsense returned dora without looking at me are you sure it is of course i am i have forgotten said dora still turning the button round and round what relation agnes is to you my dear bad boy no blood relation replied i but we were brought up together like brother and sister i wonder why you ever fell in love with me said dora beginning on another button of my coat perhaps because i couldn't see you and not love you dora suppose you had never seen me at all said dora going to another button suppose we had never been born said i gaily i wondered what she was thinking about as i glanced in admiring silence at the little soft hand travelling up the row of buttons on my coat and at the clustering hair that lay against my breast and at the lashes of her downcast eyes slightly rising as they followed her idle fingers at length her eyes were lifted up to mine and she stood on tiptoe and gave me more thoughtfully than usual that precious little kiss once twice three times and went out of the room they all came back together within five minutes afterwards and dora's unusual thoughtfulness was quite gone then she was laughingly resolved to put jip through the whole of his performances before the coach came they took some time not so much on account of their variety as jip's reluctance and were still unfinished when it was heard at the door there was a hurried but affectionate parting between Agnes and herself, and Dora was to write to Agnes, who was not to mind her letters being foolish, she said, and Agnes was to write to Dora, and they had a second parting at the coach-door, and a third when Dora, in spite of the remonstrances of Miss Lavinia, would come running out once more to remind Agnes at the coach-window about riding and to shake her curls at me on the box. The stage-coach was to put down near Covent Garden, where we were to take another stage-coach for Highgate i was impatient for the short walk in the interval that agnes might praise dora to me ah what praise it was how lovingly and fervently did it commend the pretty creature i had won with all her artless graces best displayed to my most gentle care how thoughtfully remind me yet with no pretence of doing so of the trust in which i held the orphan child never never had i loved dora so deeply and truly as i loved her that night when we had again alighted and were walking in the starlight along the quiet road that led to the doctor's house i told agnes it was her doing when you were sitting by her said i you seem to be no less her guardian angel than mine and you seem so now agnes the poor angel she returned but faithful the clear tone of her voice going straight to my heart made it natural to me to say the cheerfulness that belongs to you agnes and to no one else that ever i have seen is so restored i have observed to-day that i have begun to hope you are happier at home i am happier in myself she said i am quite cheerful and light-hearted i glanced at the serene face looking upward and thought it was the stars that made it seem so noble there has been no change at home said agnes after a few moments no fresh reference said i to i wouldn't distress you agnes but i cannot help asking to what we spoke of when we parted last no none she answered i thought so much about it you must think less about it remember that i confide in simple love and truth at last have no apprehensions for me trotwood she added after a moment the step you dread my taking i shall never take although i think i had never really feared it in any season of cool reflection it was an unspeakable relief to me to have this assurance from her own truthful lips i told her so earnestly and when this visit is over said i for we may not be alone another time how long is it likely to be my dear agnes before you come to london again probably a long time she replied i think it will be best for papa's sake to remain at home we are not likely to meet often for some time to come but i shall be a good correspondent of doris and we shall frequently hear of one another that way we were now within the little courtyard of the doctor's cottage it was going late there was a light in the window of mrs strong's chamber and agnes pointing to it bade me good-night do not be troubled she said giving me her hand by our misfortunes and anxieties i can be happier in nothing than in your happiness if you can ever give me help rely upon it i will ask you for it god bless you always in her beaming smile and in these last tones of her cheerful voice i seemed again to see and hear my little dora in her company i stood a while looking through the porch at the stars with a heart full of love and gratitude and then walked slowly forth i had engaged a bed at a decent alehouse close by and was going out at the gate when happening to turn my head i saw a light in the doctor's study a half reproachful fancy came into my mind that he had been working on the dictionary without my help with a view of seeing if this were so and in any case of bidding him good-night if he were yet sitting among his books i turned back and going softly across the hall and gently opening the door looked in the first person whom I saw, to my surprise by the sober light of the shaded lamp, was Uriah. He was standing close beside it, with one of his skeleton hands over his mouth, and the other resting on the doctor's table. The doctor sat in his study-chair, covering his face with his hands. Mr. Wickfield, sorely troubled and distressed, was leaning forward, irresolutely touching the doctor's arm. For an instant I supposed that the doctor was ill i hastily advanced a step under that impression when i met uriah's eye and saw what was the matter i would have withdrawn but the doctor made a gesture to detain me and i remained at any rate observed uriah with a writhe of his ungainly person we may keep the door shut we needn't make it known to all the town saying which he went on his toes to the door which i had left open and carefully closed it he then came back and took up his former position There was an obtrusive show of compassionate zeal in his voice and manner more intolerable at least to me than any demeanour he could have assumed i have felt it incumbent upon me master copperfield said uriah to point out to dr strong what you and me have already talked about you didn't exactly understand me though i gave him a look but no other answer and going to my good old master said a few words that I meant to be words of comfort and encouragement he put his hand upon my shoulder as it had been his custom to do when i was quite a little fellow but did not lift his grey head as you didn't understand me master copperfield resumed uriah in the same officious manner i may take the liberty of humbly mentioning being among friends that i have called dr strong's attention to the goings-on of mrs strong it is much against the grain with me, I assure you, Copperfield, to be concerned in anything so unpleasant, but really, as it is, we're all mixing ourselves up, we were oughten' to be that was what my meaning was, sir, when you didn't understand me. I wonder now when I recall his leer, that I did not collar him and try to shake the breath out of his body. I dare say I didn't make myself very clear. He went on, no you, neither naturally we was both of us inclined to give such a subject a wide berth howsoever at last i have made up my mind to speak plain and i have mentioned to doctor strong that did you speak sir this was to the doctor who had moaned the sound might have touched any heart i thought but it had no effect upon Urias. Mention to dr strong he proceeded that any one may see that mr Molden and the lovely and agreeable lady as is dr strong's wife are too sweets on one another really the time has come we being at present all mixing ourselves up with we what oughtn't to be when dr strong must be told that this was full as plain to everybody as the sun before mr Molden went to india that mr Molden made excuses to come back for nothing else and that he's always here for nothing else when you come in sir i was just putting it to my fellow-partner towards whom he turned to say to dr strong upon his word and honour whether he would ever been of this opinion long ago or not come mr wickfield sir would you be so good as to tell us yes or no sir come for god's sake my dear doctor said mr wickfield again laying his irresolute hand upon the doctor's arm don't attach too much weight to any suspicions i may have entertained there cried uriah shaking his head what a melancholy confirmation ain't it him such an old friend bless your soul when i was nothing but a clerk in his office copperfield i've seen him twenty times if i've seen him once quite in a taking about it quite put out you know and very proper in him as a father i'm sure i can't blame him to think that agnes was mixing herself up in what oughtn't to be my dear strong said mr wickfield in a tremulous voice my good friend i needn't tell you that it has been my vice to look for some one master motive in everybody and to try all actions by one narrow test i may have fallen into such doubts as i have had through this mistake you have had doubts wickfield said the doctor without lifting up his head you have had doubts speak up fellow-partner urged uriah i had at one time certainly said mr wickfield "'I—God forgive me. I thought you had—' "'No, no, no,' returned the doctor, in a tone of most pathetic grief. "'I thought at one time,' said Mr. Wickfield, "'that you wished to send Mr. Malden abroad to effect a desirable separation.' "'No, no, no,' returned the doctor, "'to give Annie pleasure by making some provision for the companion of her childhood. "'Nothing else?' so i found said mr wickfield i couldn't doubt it when you told me so but i thought-i implore you to remember the narrow construction which has been my besetting sin that in a case where there was so much disparity in point of years that's the way to put it you see master copperfield observed uriah with fawning and offensive pity a lady of such youth and such attractions however real her respect for you might have been influenced in marrying by worldly considerations only i make no allowance for innumerable feelings and circumstances that may have all tended to good for heaven's sake remember that how kind he puts it said uriah shaking his head always observing her from one point of view said mr wickfield but by all that is dear to you my old friend i entreat you to consider what it was i am forced to confess now having no escape no there is no way out of it mr wickfield sir observed uriah when it's got to this that i did said mr wickfield glancing helplessly and distractedly at his partner that i did doubt her and think her wanting in her duty to you, and that I did sometimes, if I must say all, feel averse to Agnes being in such a familiar relation towards her, as to see what I saw, or, in my diseased theory, fancied what I saw. I never mentioned this to anyone. I never meant it to be known to anyone. And though it is terrible to you to hear, said Mr. Wickfield, quite subdued, if you knew how terrible it is for me to tell, you would feel compassion for me.' the doctor in the perfect goodness of his nature put out his hand mr wickfield held it for a little while in his with his head bowed down i am sure said uriah writhing himself into the silence like a conger eel that this is a subject full of unpleasantness to everybody but since we have got so far i ought to take the liberty of mentioning that copperfield has noticed it too i turned upon him and asked him how he dared to refer to me oh it's very kind of you copperfield returned uriah undulating all over and we all know what an amiable character yours is but you know that the moment i spoke to you the other night you knew what i meant you know you knew what i meant copperfield don't deny it you deny it with the best intentions but don't do it copperfield i saw the mild eye of the good old doctor turned upon me for a moment and i felt that the confession of my old misgivings and remembrances was all too plainly written in my face to be overlooked it was of no use raging i could not undo that say what i would i could not unsay it we were again silent and remained so until the doctor rose and walked twice or thrice across the room Presently he returned to where his chair stood, and, leaning on the back of it, and occasionally putting his handkerchief to his eyes with a simple honesty that did him more honour, to my thinking, than any disguise he could have effected, said, "'I have been much to blame. I believe I have been very much to blame. I have exposed one, whom I hold in my heart, to trials and aspersions—I call them aspersions, even to have been conceived in anybody's inmost mind, of which he never but for me could have been the object.' uriah heep gave a kind of snivel i think to express sympathy of which my annie said the doctor never but for me could have been the object gentlemen i am old now as you know i do not feel to-night that i have much to live for but my life my life upon the truth and honour of the dear lady who has been the subject of this conversation i do not think that the best embodiment of chivalry the realisation of the handsomest and most romantic figure ever imagined by painter could have said this with a more impressive and affecting dignity than the plain old doctor did but i am not prepared he went on to deny perhaps i may have been without knowing it in some degree prepared to admit that i may have unwittingly ensnared that lady into an unhappy marriage i am a man quite unaccustomed to observe and i cannot but believe that the observation of several people of different ages and positions all too plainly tending in one direction and that so natural is better than mine i have often admired as i have elsewhere described his benignant manner towards his youthful wife but the respectful tenderness he manifested in every reference to her on this occasion and the almost reverential manner in which he put away from him the lightest doubt of her integrity exalted him in my eyes beyond description i married that lady said the doctor when she was extremely young i took her to myself when her character was scarcely formed so far as it was developed it had been my happiness to form it i knew her father well i knew her well i had thought her what i could for the love of all her beautiful and virtuous qualities if i did her wrong as i fear i did in taking advantage but i never meant it of her gratitude and her affection i ask pardon of that lady in my heart he walked across the room and came back to the same place holding the chair with a grasp that trembled like a subdued voice in its earnestness i regarded myself as a refuge for her from the dangers and vicissitudes of life i persuaded myself that unequal though we were in years she would live tranquilly and contentedly with me i did not shut out of my consideration the time when i should leave her free and still young and still beautiful but with her judgment more matured no gentleman, upon my truth his homely figure seemed to be lightened up by his fidelity and generosity every word he uttered had a force that no other grace could have imparted to it my life with this lady has been very happy until to-night i have had uninterrupted occasion to bless the day on which i did her great injustice his voice more and more faltering in the utterance of these words stopped for a few moments then he went on Once awakened from my dream—I have been a poor dreamer, in one way or other, all my life—I see how natural it is that she should have some regretful feeling towards her old companion and her equal. That she does regard him with some innocent regret, with some blameless thoughts of what might have been but for me, is, I fear, too true. Much that I have seen but not noted has come back upon me with new meaning during this last trying hour. But beyond this, gentlemen! the dear lady's name must never be coupled with a word a breath of doubt for a little while his eye kindled and his voice was firm for a little while he was again silent presently he proceeded as before it only remains for me to bear the knowledge of the unhappiness i have occasioned as submissively as i can it is she who should reproach not i To save her from misconstruction, cruel misconstruction, that even my friends have not been able to avoid, becomes my duty. The more retired we live, the better I shall discharge it, and when the time comes, may it come soon, if it be his merciful pleasure, when my death shall release her from constraint, I shall close my eyes upon her honoured face with unbounded confidence and love, and leave her, with no sorrow then, to happier and brighter days.' I could not see him for the tears which his earnestness and goodness, so adorned by and so adorning, the perfect simplicity of his manner, brought into my eyes. He had moved to the door when he added, "'Gentlemen, I have shown you my heart. I am sure you will respect it. What we have said to-night is never to be said more. Wickfield, give me an old friend's arm upstairs.' Mr. Wickfield hastened to him. Without interchanging a word, they went slowly out of the room together, Uriah looking after them. "'Well, Master Copperfield,' said Uriah, meekly turning to me, "'the thing hasn't quite took the turn that might have been expected. For the old scholar, what an excellent man, is as blind as a brickbat. but this family's out of the cart, I think.' I needed but the sound of his voice to be so madly enraged as I never was before, and never had been since. "'You villain,' said I, what do you mean by entrapping me into your schemes now dare you appeal to me just now you false rascal as if we had been in discussion together as we stood front to front i saw so plainly in the stealthy exultation of his face what i already so plainly knew i mean that he forced his confidence upon me expressly to make me miserable and had set a deliberate trap for me in this very matter that i couldn't bear it the whole of his lank cheek was invitingly before me and i struck it with my open hand with that force that my fingers tingled as if i had burnt them he caught the hand in his and we stood in that connection looking at each other we stood so a long time long enough for me to see the white marks of my fingers die out of the deep red of his cheek and leave it a deeper red copperfield he said at length in a breathless voice have you taken leave of your senses i've taken leave of you said i resting my hand away you dog "'I will know no more of you.' "'Won't you?' said he, constrained by the pain of his cheek, to put his hand there. "'Perhaps you won't be able to help it. Isn't this ungrateful of you now?' "'I have shown you often enough,' said I, "'that I despise you. I have shown you now more plainly that I do. Why should I dread your doing your worst to all about you? What else do you ever do?' He perfectly understood this allusion to the considerations that had hitherto restrained me in my communications with him i rather think that neither the blow nor the illusion would have escaped me but for the assurance i had had from agnes that night it is no matter there was another long pause his eyes as he looked at me seemed to take every shade of colour that could make eyes ugly copperfield he said removing his hand from his cheek you have always gone against me i know you always used to be against me at mr wickfield's you may think what you like said i still in a towering rage "'If it is not true, so much the worthier you.' "'And yet I always liked you, Copperfield,' he rejoined. "'I designed to make him no reply, and, taking up my hat, was going out to bed, "'when he came between me and the door. "'Copperfield,' he said, "'there must be two parties to a quarrel. "'I won't be one.' "'You may go to the devil,' said I. "'Don't say that,' he replied. "'I know you would be sorry afterwards.' how can you make yourself so inferior to me as to show such a bad spirit but i forgive you you forgive me i repeated disdainfully i do and you can't help yourself replied uriah to think of your going and attacking me that i've always been a friend to you but there can't be a quarrel without two parties and i won't be one i will be a friend to you in spite of you so now you know what you've got to expect the necessity of carrying on this dialogue his part in which was very slow, mine very quick, in a low tone, that the house might not be disturbed at an unseasonable hour, did not improve my temper, though my passion was cooling down. Merely telling him that I should expect from him what I always expected, and had never yet been disappointed in, I opened the door upon him as if he had been a great walnut put there to be cracked, and went out of the house. But he slept out of the house too, at his mother's lodging, and before I had gone many hundred yards, came up with me you know copperfield he said in my ear i did not turn my head you are quite in a wrong position which i felt to be true and that made me chafe the more you can't make this a brave thing and you can't help being forgiven i don't intend to mention it to mother nor to any living soul i'm determined to forgive you but i do wonder that you should lift your hand against the person that you knew to be so ambo i felt only less mean than he he knew me better than i knew myself if he had retorted or openly exasperated me it would have been a relief and a justification but he had put me on a slow fire on which i lay tormented half the night in the morning when i came out the early church-bell was ringing and he was walking up and down with his mother he addressed me as if nothing had happened and i could do no less than reply I had struck him hard enough to give him the toothache, I suppose. At all events his face was tied up in a black silk handkerchief, which, with his hat perched on top of it, was far from improving his appearance. I heard that he went to the dentist's in London on the Monday morning, and had a tooth out. I hope it was a double one. The doctor gave out that he was not quite well, and remained alone for a considerable part of every day, during the remainder of the visit agnes and her father had been gone a week before we resumed our usual work on the day preceding its resumption the doctor gave me with his own hands a folded note not sealed it was addressed to myself and laid an injunction on me in a few affectionate words never to refer to the subject of that evening i had confided it to my aunt but to no one else it was not a subject i could discuss with agnes and agnes certainly had not the least suspicion of what had passed neither i felt convinced had mrs strong then several weeks elapsed before i saw the least change in her it came on slowly like a cloud when there is no wind at first she seemed to wonder at the gentle compassion with which the doctor spoke to her and at his wish that she should have her mother with her to relieve the dull monotony of her life often when we were at work and she was sitting by i would see her pausing and looking at him with that memorable face afterwards i sometimes observed her rise with her eyes full of tears and go out of the room gradually an unhappy shadow fell upon her beauty and deepened every day mrs markleham was a regular inmate of the cottage then but she talked and talked and saw nothing as this change stole on annie once like sunshine in the doctor's house the doctor became older in appearance and more grave but the sweetness of his temper the placid kindness of his manner and his benevolent solicitude for her if they were capable of any increase were increased i saw him once early on the morning of her birthday when she came to sit in the window while we were at work which he had always done but now began to do with a timid and uncertain air that i thought very touching take her forehead between his hands kiss it and go hurriedly away too much moved to remain i saw her stand there when he had left her like a statue and then bend down her head and clasp her hands and weep i cannot say how sorrowfully "'Sometimes after that I fancied that she tried to speak even to me "'in intervals when we were left alone, but she never uttered a word.' the doctor always had some new project for her participating in amusements away from home with her mother and mrs markleham who was very fond of amusements and very easily dissatisfied with anything else entered into them with great good will and was loud in her commendations but annie in a spiritless unhappy way only went whither she was led and seemed to have no care for anything i did not know what to think neither did my aunt who must have walked at various times a hundred miles in her uncertainty what was strangest of all was that the only real relief which seemed to make its way into the secret region of this domestic unhappiness made its way there in the person of mr dick what his thoughts were on the subject or what his observation was i am as unable to explain as i dare say he would have been to assist me in the task but as i have recorded in the narrative of my school days his veneration for the doctor was unbounded and there is a subtlety of perception in real attachment even when it is borne towards man by one of the lower animals which leaves the highest intellect behind to this mind of the heart if i may call it so in mr dick some bright ray of the truth shot straight he had proudly resumed his privilege in many of his spare hours of walking up and down the garden with the doctor as he had been accustomed to pace up and down the doctor's walk at canterbury but matters were no sooner in this state than he devoted all his spare time and got up earlier to make it more to these perambulations if he had never been so happy as when the doctor read that marvellous performance the dictionary to him he was now quite miserable unless the doctor pulled it out of his pocket and began when the doctor and i were engaged he now fell into the custom of walking up and down with mrs strong and helping her to trim her favourite flowers or weed the beds i dare say he rarely spoke a dozen words in an hour but his quiet interest and his wistful face found immediate response in both their breasts each knew that the other liked him and that he loved both and he became what no one else could be-a link between them when i think of him with his impenetrably wise face walking up and down with the doctor delighted to be battered by the hard words in the dictionary when i think of him carrying huge watering-pots after annie kneeling down in very paws of gloves at patient microscopic work among the little leaves expressing as no philosopher could have expressed in everything he did a delicate desire to be her friend showering sympathy trustfulness and affection out of every hole in the watering-pot, when I think of him never wandering in that better mind of his to which unhappiness addressed itself, never bringing the unfortunate King Charles into the garden, never wavering in his grateful service, never diverted from his knowledge that there was something wrong, or from his wish to set it right, I really feel almost ashamed of having known that he was not quite in his wits, taking account of the utmost I have done with mine.' Nobody but myself, Trot, knows what that man is. My aunt would proudly remark when we conversed about it. Dick will distinguish himself yet. I must refer to one other topic before I close this chapter. While the visit at the doctor's was still in progress, I observed that the postman brought two or three letters every morning for Uriah Heep, who remained at Highgate until the rest went back. It being a leisure time, and that these were always directed in a businesslike manner by Mr. Micawber, who now assumed a round legal hand i was glad to infer from these slight premises that mr micawber was doing well and consequently was much surprised to receive about this time the following letter from his amiable wife canterbury monday evening You will doubtless be surprised, my dear Mr. Copperfield, to receive this communication, still more so by its contents, still more so by the stipulation of implicit confidence which I beg to impose. But my feelings as a wife and mother require relief, and, as I do not wish to consult my family, already obnoxious to the feelings of Mr. Micawber, I know no one of whom I can better ask advice than my friend and former lodger.' you may be aware my dear mr copperfield that between myself and mr micawber whom i will never desert there has always been preserved a spirit of mutual confidence mr micawber may have occasionally given a bill without consulting me or he may have misled me as to the period when that obligation would become due this has actually happened but in general mr micawber has had no secrets from the bosom of his affection i allude to his wife and has invariably on our retirement to rest recalled the events of the day you will picture to yourself my dear mr copperfield what the poignancy of my feelings must be when i inform you that mr micawber is entirely changed he is reserved he is secret his life is a mystery to the partner of his joys and sorrows i again allude to his wife and if I should assure you that, beyond knowing that it is passed from morning to night at the office, I now know less of it than I do of the man in the South, connected with whose mouth the thoughtless children repeat an idle tale respecting cold plum porridge. I should adopt a popular fallacy to express an actual fact but this is not all mr micawber is morose he is severe he is estranged from our eldest son and daughter he has no pride in his twins he looks with an eye of coldness even on the unoffending stranger who last became a member of our circle the pecuniary means of meeting our expenses kept down to the utmost farthing are obtained from him with great difficulty and even under fearful threats that he will settle himself the exact expression and he inexorably refuses to give any explanation whatever of this distracting policy this is hard to bear this is heart-breaking if you will advise me knowing my feeble powers such as they are how you think it will be best to exert them in a dilemma so unwanted you will add another friendly obligation to the money you have already rendered me with loves from the children and a smile from the happily unconscious stranger i remain dear mr copperfield your afflicted emma micawber I did not feel justified in giving a wife of Mrs. Micawber's experience any other recommendation than that she should try to reclaim Mr. Micawber by patience and kindness, as I knew she would in any case, but the letter set me thinking about him very much. End of chapter 42